0: Hey everyone and welcome to the podcast. This episode is proudly brought to you by Well, anybody, we are currently looking for a sponsor for the Road to Success podcast. So if you, an organization or business you know or are involved with might be interested in finding out some more information about sponsoring the Road to Success podcast, then please contact me online either via mattylovell.com or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram too. We can start to go over how things might work and have you or your business sponsoring the Road to Success podcast. Until then, enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Road to Success podcast. My name is Maddie Lovell. Thank you so much for joining me today as I chat with high performance and mental skills expert John Quinn. John Quinn, right? Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. How's your uh, how's your year been?
1: Um, like most of us, I think it's just been a different year with COVID. Um, it's been a year of uh, a very common word about uncertainty uh, around things. But I think as um, we move forward, there's probably a bit more certainty with things and, and bits and pieces. But look, it's been a challenging year, I think, for most of us, definitely.
0: Yeah, totally. Hey, look, um, I guess you know, there's potentially you know people that, that are listening that might not know. I know you do a lot of work in the background, I guess, but um, there's some people that are probably listening that might not know what it is you do, or, or where you've come from, or, or, or what you sort of um, what your work involves. You want to maybe start and give us a bit of a Cliff Notes version of, of what you've done and, and what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, look, I, I suppose the key, thing, I work with um, people around performance, and that's from athletes around performance to businesses um, and, and also work in schools. And what underpins performance often is, is our well-being, so looking after that and understanding what are the skills we need to enhance our well-being. And often we talk about mental skills um, around it. So I kind of started off being a social worker, really enjoyed that, working with young people, um, but got to a point there where I was kind of going you know working with them was getting stuck to go and know what to do next so went back to university and finished my master's in counselling and that kind of from there got me interested in I suppose the sports psychology side of things and the mental skills so Last year, last couple of years, university started looking in that space and started building up some knowledge in that space and then moved into there and that's sort of the last 15 years has been working with athletes um, and teams around the mental skills um, area and then the last probably I don't know, eight or nine years has looked into the wellbeing because it's kind of comes in hand in hand. Um, around it so a lot of my work is just working with people around what allows them to you know very cliche what what allows them to flourish what allows them to perform whether it's in a relationship whether it's in the sports field or whatever it is so um, and I suppose the wellbeing I do two days at Christ College a week putting a wellbeing programme in place there and that's the bit that's it's. It's really interesting because our young people, you know, are faced with so many more challenges than we were at that age. Um, so it's about how do we give them the skills—not the, the academic skills, the actual social skills—and often we call them the soft skills, but we've got to actually start calling them the, the most important skills—the um, tools to manage life. Because well, one thing about life, it keeps going, and we can work out how do we actually manage that and uh, how do we manage the highs and lows of life.
0: Yeah, well, there's so much in there that I've already had questions for that I want to sort of shoot <laughs>
1: off on. Um, I guess one of the things was you talked about performance and well-being
0: sort of going hand in hand and, um, you know, is, I mean, in some ways, you could almost say that in the past, that performance and well-being haven't at all. That it was almost they were at the cost of each other. That performance was at the, at the, at the absolute cost of someone's well-being, and that um, you know, well-being was um, you know maybe the same with performance. How and you're, you're nodding, but you know, maybe you just want to explain that and maybe talk about how they do relate now.
1: Look, I think you know, particularly in New Zealand, I've always had that Kiwi attitude of "should be right" uh, and keep moving forward, and it has been around. You know, we've had a very much a winning culture. Um, and social media re- reinforces it as the media does. You know, if a team wins, they must be an amazing team. If a team loses, they're not. What we've kind of learnt over time, we're not what we've learned, we'll probably become more aware of and, and put more time into it, is we know if, if we look after people better and look after and they understand their well being because the problem with the word well being, I think we get a little bit confused what it looks like. Now, for me, well being, it's almost like a bit of a storm analogy. Um, you know, the eye of the storm. It's not. It's a calm place. It's a good place. Things are okay, but outside the storm, there's chaos. And I think we confuse wellbeing with being in the eye of the storm. Um, And we want things to be nice all the time. And it's almost, you know, the 80s and 90s, you've got to be positive all the time. Well, I think that wore people down because you don't have to be positive. Um, And when when things happen to us, why would you be positive when bad things happen um, around it? And why would you be strong? It's almost, um, you know, with the attacks last year, we were told to be strong. And I'm constantly going, why would you be strong at the moment? This is a time to be scared, to be vulnerable, to, to reach out, but we keep being told to be strong. So we kind of mix those messages up. And some, for me, well-being about, you know, what what are the what's the protective clothing you need when you go out to the storm? What do you need to do when it's a tough day, when it's a stressful day, um, when the relationship's not going well? And even with those protective clothing, it's still probably – Uncomfortable at times. So for me, often wellbeing is really how do we manage when things aren't going well? It's not about being well all the time because that's impossible. Um, but what are the things you need to do to kind of invest in yourself? So when those things happen, you've got something to fall back on. So most of us get the physical wellbeing. You know, if we go for a run, we build up ability to, for our muscles to cope with running for five kilometers and then we obviously keep doing that. But often we don't put enough time into. I suppose, um, well, we're muscle. What do we do? So, when things aren't going well, we've got something, something to buffer up around that. So, for me, if we get those things right, Eight out of ten, I mean, it's not about doing this right all the time, but if we can get it right, eight out of ten. And then when things happen to us, we tend to cope with them better. Um, and I suppose an example is, you know, if things are going well in our life, we're getting, you know, eat, sleep, move, we're managing ourselves, we're understanding our thoughts and our feelings, and someone pulls out in front of us, we tend to respond in a more appropriate way. Um, if we're really stressed and had a really busy day and not going too well, someone pulls out in front of us, uh, probably um, – the way we uh, express that probably isn't as, as appropriate. Yes, but the, it's the same situation, but our perception changes, uh, and so it's how we kind of change the culture around. Um, you know, our, bra- our body gives us really good feedback when we hurt ourselves because there's pain, but our brain doesn't always give us that feedback when we get overloaded. So, how do we actually learn to understand? Well, show us I'm getting a bit stressed, I'm getting a bit frustrated. How do I actually get let it go of that? So I don't let go of that, I keep walking around with it all day, and next month by the end of the week. Things things shift, so I think now the wellbeing piece is really talked about a lot, but we probably haven't really embedded it into into our cultures, um, into our systems because we still get caught up and um, we've got to work. Yeah, absolutely,
0: and 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 how you've just sort of, I guess, you know, defined well-being and ability to sort of manage when things aren't always right. Is that does that connect with performance? As far as um, you know, obviously, if someone's well and able to deal with setbacks and challenges and whatever comes their way, it's then able to increase their ability to perform in whatever endeavor it is.
1: Look, definitely. I mean, at the high performance level, it's not. Uh, it's really hard, and often we talk about get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It's a very common common phrase. And the key thing around performance, the top performers, they perform consistently. That's the only difference. You, know, you and I could go out there and hit a golf ball probably as well as a pro once. They do it all the time. Um, so it's understandable. You're not always going to feel good. You're not going to wake out a bit, get up out of bed every day and bounce out. So it's, well, those days when I'm not feeling what do I actually need to do on those days? What's my intervention? Because if you wake up and your ankle was sore, intervention would be you'd rest it, your ice it, and you strap it. When we wake up and the brain's sore for whatever reason, we just kind of go, well, I hope I'm okay today, and we keep moving forward. So it's kind of interesting, what do you need to do that day? Is it around, okay, I need to make sure I connect with someone? Do I need to make sure I'm eating really well today? Do I need to listen to my favourite song? Do I need to do some mindfulness? What do I need to do to kind of just bring myself back, get up to about seven or eight so I can look to perform, and be okay with not being okay? And that's the key thing. Sometimes I think we, we think we've got to be confident and motivated to perform. If you're confident, that's great. And if you're motivated, that's great. But you don't need those to perform. It's just easier when you have those. So obviously, we want to build those, but we can't rely on those. So it's just, I suppose the key thing is understand when you're not at your best, how do you manage that? Because most of us don't. Mm. We just go down to not managing.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. It's quite a, a holistic approach, I guess, because I don't think, I mean, I, I don't have a lot of experience at all in this field, but I sort of, you know, from the, the stuff I've, I've looked at, it seems that this is quite a new approach, That the, the, the holistic approach to an athlete or even a human being to look at them and say, hey, look, um, you know, like you wear a number of different hats and the way your relationship is affects the way you perform on the track or in the boardroom or in the classroom or whatever it is. And I think, you know, that seems to be a, quite a new thing. And, and you know, in... Um, um, we've got a couple of businesses, and I always, you know, like I'm always interested in our team's full life because I think that it's really hard to show up and be a good whatever you do for a job if your partner's just ripped you out at home, and it's really hard to go home and be a good partner if your boss has just ripped you out at home. And I think that you know, there's maybe not a, enough of appreciating human beings as a, as a, you know, there's all these different hats and tentacles that come off them, and they all have to be well to create a, a happy, well
1: performing human being. Look, it is, and, and I think we all know that. But we're just, as humans, we're pretty stupid. If you look at it rationally, you know, we we, we know, you know, it took us twenty years to realise we shouldn't smoke, and people still smoke, and that's not knocking smokers, you know. But the reality is, in the eighties, we worked out, hey, this is actually quite bad for us. Twenty years later, we banned it. So we don't we don't adapt very well, and which is a shame because in the old days we had to adapt, and we adapted really quickly because if you didn't, you died. We're in our society now. We don't tend to adapt very quickly around things. So. It's understandable if, if these are the things I can do to enhance my well-being, how do I put a high price on that? Um, and, and generally, we don't because most of us, you know, we like to care for people, so we worry about everyone else, but we don't worry about ourselves. So, for us to be at our best, we've got to work out what does that look like in the sense of eat, sleep, move the three basics, you know. So, how much sleep do we need? Most of us don't get enough sleep. Oh, well, it's a. It's a it's an interrupted sleep you know nutrition is a fascinating place at the moment because everything we think is healthy we find out it's not healthy yes. you know you go to a mall and try and find healthy food and you struggle and then you think well so, everything's healthy isn't it yeah. well you <laughs> told it right. is yeah, yeah. Um, around, and then you know what does exercise look like and I think people worry you know with exercise it can be walking around the block it can be walking to work it doesn't have to be running a marathon but it's understanding what are the things that allow me to be at my best and how do I put a high price on those and it doesn't mean every day you get it right because you won't um, but it's almost going well if I do these things consistently, this me to kind of sit around a 7 or 8 out of 10 and if we can get that then we move from existing to living and I suppose that's what um, really interests me in this work particularly after post earthquakes to 11 um, you know I remember trying to get home like most of us that day it was, it was chaos but you, you, as you drove around you saw people walking around it was almost that, um, the zombie movies that complete kind of shock look on their face just that consu- no one home, switched yeah. off from everything else and then about a year later, I remember driving into town and looking across the, you know, at the lights and there was people sitting in the cars and they had the same look on their faces. You know, people, we tend to exist and not live. And it's really hard because we don't fulfil our potential um, around it because that's really scary. And it's how do we get people to understand, you know, whatever level you're at at the moment, there's another one. Um, and then when you get to that other level it's actually quite exciting but often we, we get to a point and we just get really comfortable and we think we're comfortable actually we're not because we end up existing and that's that real kind of challenge of how do we ensure because we've all started this race and there's a finish and that finish will happen so what do we do between now and then yeah
0: and and um you know, it's sort of that good is the enemy of great. That you know, like existing is is, is the um is also the opposite of 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 really fulfilling a your true potential. And I think that's um you know it's a scary thought. You know, and for me certainly, I did a lot of thinking about stuff like this. And I think that you know, getting to the grave and feeling like you've left something on the table would be a horrible feeling. But most people probably do.
1: Well, we're all the best inventions in the odd ears in the world. Where are they? They're in cemeteries. We take them with us. Yeah. You know, and look, fear drives most of our behavior. And we probably don't talk about fear enough. Fear is a massive um, decision maker for most of us. You know, if you just reflect on the last week, what have you do- not not done because of fear? Not in the sense of, oh my gosh, this is a terrible, but it just can be subtle things from not going to that shop to not talking to that person to not putting your hand up in a lecture to fear drives all of our behavior. So we're not aware of those things then we can't actually change those things. And it's getting really clear that, you know, fear is not real dangerous. It's not about doing dangerous stuff. But what are you doing each week that kind of gets you a bit, bit on edge? Because when we do those things, we always feel better afterwards. And and I'm going to use some cliche quotes here, but we regret more things we don't do than things we do, do. Yes. And so sometimes it's kind of looking at the fears, what you know, what what are the fears that stop me doing things? And how do I start chipping away at some of those things? Um, and it is, it is hard because the brain doesn't want to do that stuff. Yeah. The brain wants easy. Netflix, pizza, beer, that's that's an easy night. Comfort, yeah. It is comfort, but then then it becomes uncomfortable. That's the thing about it is that a lot of that short-term stuff becomes uncomfortable. At the time, it feels good. It's like watching Netflix to 1 o'clock in the morning in bed. This feels really good until the next morning when you've got to wake up and then go to work. You know. So yeah. this is this is the hard part, and that's the thing about it. I don't think we've mastered this, but it's working out what's What's the lifestyle that allows you to fulfill your potential? And that can be different for all of us um, around it. So it's not a diet, it's not eight week challenge. It's actually, what does it look like on a continuous basis? Um, you know, there's a really good book called Atomic Habits. I was just about to mention James yeah. Clear. Actually, yeah, and, and one of the things you talked about there is that 1% a day. You know, if you look to improve your nutrition by 1% a day, that's all you have to do. And that could be going from, um, you know, drinking a bottle of Coke to drinking a half bottle of Coke. And you do that five, six times a week, that's 6% a week. You do that over a month and that's, that's where change happens. But the problem is we want 20% change in a week and we don't get that and we go, it didn't work, so we go back to the old stuff. So um, that's where simple getting clarity about where you want to go and what your goals are. You know, We make kids at school set goals and we leave school and then as adults we stop setting them um, around it. But goals give us a really good direction. It gives us a bit of motivation. It gives us something to aim for. And then if you look at goals as, a, as basically what did I learn, not a pass, fail. They're really good, but I think often with goals and sport too, we see goals as pass fail, and then people don't want to do it because they don't want to fail. Well, if you're not failing, you're not learning. If you're not learning, you're not growing.
0: Yeah, I had um, a guy called Andy Bell on the podcast, and he was sort of like an endurance sort of athlete. He's done these crazy things, and um, you know, and one of the things that we've agreed to do, or I've agreed to do with him, is a thousand burpees in a day, and in a in session, and so. Um, and we were talking about this whole idea of sort of, you know, failing. And I, and because I, I really think that way, I think that, you know, like if I try something and I don't get it, like I'm really just in my head, it's just like, man, I've, I've missed this. And he said, look, if we try and do a thousand burpees and you still do, and you do 700 and then you pull out, he's like, you've still done 700 burpees. And I was like, you know, but it's that, and you're right, it's, it's reframing it from a past fail to, you know, and he said, if you do 700 burpees, you'll figure out what you did wrong, you'll, Correct your technique, or you'll find a different, you know, plan to get into it, and then
1: you'll redo it, and it'll come out yeah. better. There's a great Nelson Mandela quote, and he talks about, you know, I never lose; either win or I learn. You know, and I think we got to really hold on to that for our young people, for all of us, because if you look at mindset stuff, when we're sort of anywhere from zero to four or five, we had a great mindset. We didn't care. We're happy to learn. We're happy to fail. You know, the first time we learned to walk, we got up. We fell down. We got up. We fell down. Now, if we had the mindset we have now as adults, we would have done that two or three times, looked around and gone, oh my gosh, everyone's looking at me. What are they thinking? People are judging me. We wouldn't have done it. So at some stage in our life, we went away from this real growth mindset to mistakes are bad, failure's bad, and at the end of the day, they haven't learned that from themselves. They learned that from us. So it's how do we actually really reinforce the key part of learning is failure. But again, if you get rid of the word failure to learn, then you never fail, and I think you know, it's the same within sport. You know, the the fear of failure is massive for the athletes, um, and, and the media don't help us either because they will build people up, and they can't wait to bring them down again. And that's something for most of us we don't really understand. You know, we will go to work and get maybe a performance appraisal once a year. Well, they get it every day, and it's public. You know, around it. You're in the team, you're not in the team. You play well, you don't play well. And that's, you know, if you're right, you've got to be pretty secure in your own head to be able to manage that. You know, where you might go into work and the boss goes, You haven't done that very well. well it's just you and your boss, you walk out, go, Well, he's a dick anyway, and you carry on. So the ability to be able to manage that stuff is, is, is quite different and it's quite challenging for our athletes. But if we go back to when we we're kids, we didn't care about stuff. We tried stuff. You know, when your mum or dad chucked that ball to you the first time it hit you in the head, you laughed. Then at fifteen it hit you in the head and you went, Oh my gosh, everyone's looking at me, this is the worst thing to do. So the beauty of that is whatever we've learned, we can unlearn. And this is a key part, you know, for the parents out there, how do we teach our kids to be courageous? How do we let them fall over? How do we let them hurt themselves? How do we let them actually make mistakes so they can bounce back? Because if we keep saving them, then they don't learn these skills. And then at 18, 19, 20, when they need those skills, the cost is a little bit higher.
0: Yeah, so like I mean, we've, we've talked about a, a few sort of you know I don't want to say problems, you know, th- things that we're faced with at the moment. So what are some of the answers? You know, like if we're looking at you know we've got people that are walking around and existing and not living and, and looking like zombies. We've got um, you know young kids or, or adults that are that are afraid to try things because they're scared they're going to fail and the way that's going to look. Like what are some of the? You talked about adults not having goals. You know that's part of it maybe, but what are some of the
1: things that um, that we can do to to remedy this? In so are we prominent Minister now so we can change things? <laughs> um, look, I think some of it is, you know, there's a great or there's an interesting Netflix thing, the social dilemma at the moment, and I'd advise everyone to watch that and then just turn your phones off. I think we've got a big issue with our phones and technology. Technology is great and it really helps us, but it has a really negative impact on us too. So some of it is, is getting that clarity around, um, you know, who do I want to be? And it's going to sound deep and meaningful, but, you know, who do I want to be and where do I want to go? And often I don't think we look at that enough. You know, one of the questions often we ask when we work with businesses, you know, what do you want most for your life? Now, when you ask that question, you say, who's thought about this? A lot of people haven't. Um, So often we think, what do I want for my life? I want the mortgage paid off. I want the kids to be healthy and, you know, I want to be security. But there's a bit more to life than that. So it's probably the ability to kind of sit back and and it is a bit navel-gazing, but, you know, whatever age you're at, you know, where am I going? We don't want to be in five years' time. We don't want to be in 10 years' time. And it's not it's not about setting a goal of a 1,000 burpees. That's maybe not what you're into, but that's something that's going to inspire you, and we need to be inspired. So it's creating things that actually inspire us and get something out of it because that sense of achievement is another big part of our well-being. You know, when we go to work and by Wednesday we're going, oh, I can't wait till Friday. You know, we're wasting our time. Um, and we see this in education. You know, teachers seven weeks into the term, they're going, oh, three weeks to go. It's like, it is three weeks to go, but we can either make those days count or we can count the days um, around it. So it's how do you create an environment which allows you to have that mindset consistently? Um, and, and look, it starts with the families. I think parenting, there's a, it's a really big thing for us at the moment because I think it, it's got really hard now because both parents are working. There's, there's a lot more pressure, and particularly with COVID, you know, the people are losing businesses or losing money. So there's a lot more stress, but it's about... We can't control COVID, but we can control, I suppose, how we react to COVID, and that's the key part. And how do we put a high price on um, our interactions with people, our relationships, and where we want to go? And, and often we don't. We, what we do is we show compassion to others. We don't show self-compassion to ourselves. Um, it's like we did a parent talk last night, and and one of the parents are looking, know, oh, I feel really guilty at times because I work a 40-hour week and I don't spend enough time with kids we said, look, that, that's, that's for most of us. But then it's about how do you spend quality time with your kids? How do you actually you know, sit there in a room and actually engage with them? And this is really hard. And I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm going, wow, I haven't done this the last wee while either. That's the key thing around it. So how do we get really intentional with our interaction with our children? How do we model the behaviors we want on a consistent basis? Because social media will not model those behaviors to our kids. Um, so some of it's actually going back to what it was probably 40 years ago, parenting. You know, we actually did things with our kids. You know, we had channel one, channel two. We didn't have 200 channels. Yeah. So, um, there's lots of things we can start doing. But it's you know, how do we? Probably the key thing is how do we get education to support that well-being piece. How do we actually get our kids to be taught around resilience, around how the brain works, and what these things look like, and how do they, how do they manage themselves? I mean, I did knew this at school. Mm. You know, I'm going getting it now, and I'm too old for it. But I wish I knew this stuff probably when I was an early parent, probably when I was a teenager. So. We just need to change the lens around what success is because school is a good example. We still rate schools by their achievement rates. Well, there's no research I've said that says if you get an excellence in an exam that you will be happy or you will be successful. How do you think
0: what would if you could if you could design in your own sort of, you know, world what success or how it would be measured in a in a in a school environment, what would it look like, do you think?
1: Well, I think schools do this, but they don't put a price on it. So they talk around the character stuff, which is really important. And sports talk about this too. Um, we were we know people of character and we want people to live with values, but then they don't put a price on that. You know, so you know, if you don't know what people value, show me your budget. So if we're teaching you know, 30 periods a week at school, how much of that teaching is around character? Well, if it's only one lesson a week, tell me what's important. So we've got to kind of understand what, what makes a successful young person. Now, if you're a, a business owner, when you employ someone, you don't look at their grades. Most people don't understand NCA anyway um, around it. You look at are they trustworthy? Will they work hard? Are they resilient? Can they communicate? Can they build relationships? All those things, all those skills that we want, but then you look at their school report and often that doesn't always reflect those. So it's how do we get people to really understand that? How do we actually teach this? Because parents struggle at times to teach it.
0: How can you quantify it? That would be a hard you know, until you can measure it. Is, is it a well, hard thing to... that's our problem
1: because we want to measure everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, how do you measure love? Yeah. But we still love people. You don't go to your partner. Can you tell me how you measure that? Yeah, how right. much do you I love me? Well, 10, yeah. if I buy you a car, does that mean I love you more? If I spend time with you, so I think we're we'll get away from measurements at times around it, uh, and this is the thing. Because particularly our young children, you know, young kids, the measurements when they're twenty-five is when they're giving back. What are they giving to society? Which again sounds very cliche, but these are the. This is what we want from our young people. So we 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 what we. Ch- Um, Chase is the material success. And so, so I can't remember what her last name is. A woman, Sonia, she's got a very long last name. She wrote The Happiness Pie. I don't know if you read The Happiness Pie. So, they looked at what makes us happy and they broke it in, and it's very generalized, but you know, a pie, 50% of our happiness is is in our environment and our genetics and how we're brought up. And for most of us in New Zealand, that's probably kind of okay. 10% is is things that happen to us, and 40% is our intentional activities or our thoughts. But what we often focus on is the 10%. If I get that new job, if I pass, if I make the first 15, if I win this game, if I do these things, I'll be happy. And we're not. You know, I remember athletes I work with, you know, who who strive to make a national team or or win stuff and they win it and then nothing changes. And I always say that to them. So when you win this, then what? They go, what do you mean? I go, well, what's going to happen? You know, you you want to win this, then you win it, then what? I mean, Michael Phelps in his video, the, the weight of gold, 18 gold medals and he was suicidal. So you know we strive for these material things, then we get those material things, and then we go, we're not any happier. So what's the forty percent of it? Is our intentional activities, um, our thoughts, and how we how we actually live our lives? And then we've got to how do we teach the young people to strive to be great? But great can be an achieved all year because you worked hard. Um, It's almost that growth mindset, reinforcing the characteristics we want with our young people. Because if we do those things well, they will tend to be happier.
0: Yeah, that's certainly. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's a it's a tough road to pursue, though, isn't it?
1: Look, look that, and that's the problem with all this. The theory is so easy. It's like yeah. mindfulness. Just be present. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. With yeah. <laughs> all the all this <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah, we've yeah. got, you know, don't judge people. Yeah. Okay. I will do that too. Um, look, it is hard, but everything's hard, and life's hard already. I always say, you know, it's already hard at the moment. So why don't we make it just as hard, but get the result we want? You know. So say, for example, mindfulness. Yeah, mindfulness is really hard, but we know if we do it well enough it actually makes things a little bit easier. So if it's going to be hard anyway, let's just play around with this and do it. Or getting fit's really hard. Yeah, it is hard, but then start small. Eating healthy is really hard. It is, but start small. So, and also we've got to not be scared of hard. You know, I think we have this whole thing in our world at the moment that things should be easier. If it's if it's not easy, then you're doing it wrong or there's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with hard. I mean, you look at any person you talk on this podcast who's successful or any person you've, who's um, successful in anything that they do, what do they say? Work hard. And it is hard. Um, so we, we can't be scared of hard. And it's, it's just trying to change that lens a wee bit. It's not changing the world in a day because we're never going to do that. But if we can start shifting that lens around what actually is important. And this is around, you know, from the parenthood, the parents are so important in this piece because they influence our kids so much. And I think parents forget that influence. Um, and we forget the, the, you know, not the control, but how we can actually give them the skills and tools to become successful later on. And as you said, the measurement's hard at high school. But you know, at twenty five thirty, that's when we start seeing the outcome of some of these things.
0: Yeah. It's um I mean, I'm glad we've got people like you on the on the team, that's for sure. Um I want to sort of, I mean, talk a little bit about um, you know you've mentioned mental skills a couple of times, and I had um I had Tim Bateman on the podcast, and he he said something really interesting, and it sort of stuck with me. He said that you know as athletes they don't get fitter, stronger, faster, or more more skilled week by week. They're pretty much the same, you know, but um but performance can vary so much from week to week, and that's it only comes down to their, their their I guess their mental state, you know, either during or, or prior to the to the to the performance, um. I guess let's maybe talk about, I've heard you, you you call mental skills as an insurance policy for when things go wrong. So maybe could you sort of define what a, you said soft skills, but maybe what a mental skill might be in an, an example
1: maybe. Yeah, look, mental skills, if you nut it down, it's the ability, you can't regulate something you're not aware of. Okay, so if I'm not aware that, I'm getting really frustrated or I'm getting really anxious or worried, or even excited, if I'm not aware of that, I can't then put an intervention in place. And as I said, the body gives you an intervention because it's pain. So I do something with it. So <clears throat> often around mental skills, it's understanding what do I need to do to be at my best mentally in the sense of how do I kind of get myself tuned in to be able to focus as I sort of go into that game. And as Tim has said, you know, the only thing that fluctuates you in the week is your mindset. And what we know, what impacts in that mindset is family, our kids, social media, media, injuries, coaches. There's so much that can. So it's ability, you know, the top athletes have the, have the ability to kind of go, even though all that stuff is happening, I have the ability to bring my focus into this one thing for this next 80 minutes, whatever it is. And that's a real skill. So we can't have all this negative self-talk Monday to Friday and then Saturday go, right, be positive. So it becomes this lifestyle stuff. And again, this isn't just about performance for an athlete. It's about our, our whole life. You know, you can't beat yourself up internally and expect to be positive. So it's around how do we actually practice being aware of the thoughts that I need to be having? How do I kind of make sure that the thoughts I'm having don't always necessarily positive but are more productive? Because the negative thoughts are always going to sit that we know that we have a very strong negative bias and that's part of our survival mode. So we're not going to get rid of that, but what we've got to learn is how do I actually start learning to manage that? What are the situations where I know that could happen? So from an athlete point of view, it could be a certain team you play against that you think you don't play well against. So you go, okay, well, that could just keep me going. away. So what do I do mentally prepare for that? It could be a team that, you know, maybe always niggle you. So you go, okay, so how do I mentally prepare for that? So going to the game going, gee, I hope they don't do that going, actually, right, we know they're going to bring this to us, so how do I mentally prepare for it? So then when it happens, I have a response, have my insurance policy ready. And it's no different from when you get home from work, you had a busy day at work, Okay, how do I just check in to see how I'm feeling before I walk into the house? Because if I walk into the house after that stressful day or that busy day, and then my wife tries to engage me with her kids, I tend to not engage that well. Then something happens, or we miss something, and then, then we start arguments kind of happen. And this is a bit, again, it's about creating those little habits of knowing, okay, what do I look like at my best and how do I start understanding when I'm starting to get tired or stressed because all those things will happen. Mentally tough or smart, whatever you want to use, the word people have the same thoughts as we do. Same self-doubt. I mean, I've worked with thousands of people. We're all scared of the same stuff. We're all scared of failure, of fitting in, or what people think of us, all that. We're all the same, but what they've done really well is they've acknowledged that and gone, yep, that's going to happen, but I can just kind of change the channel bring it back to this focus around it. So mental skills can be anything from simple goal setting to imagery to doing breathing work to managing self-talk. It can be lots of different things. But for me, if you want to break it down to one thing, it's the ability to go, okay, how am I feeling? What do I need to do? Self-awareness. Massive. Yeah. We um, all think we're self-aware and we're not.
0: Yeah. Gilbert Anoka said self-awareness is the master skill.
1: It is, but did you get taught that at school? No. And the worst thing is, every time someone says to me, I'm really self aware, I'm going, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, we're not self I think mean, we're different levels of it, but it takes that constant checking in how am I going? And often we talk to people about using a simple stop stop analogy is, you know, stop is stop, step back. You know, T is just take a breath. You know, O is observe how you're feeling. Am I tense? And for me, it's almost my shoulders. doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm always conscious of my shoulders. Okay, I drop my shoulders. Okay, I'm feeling okay. And then P, you can proceed with what you need to be doing. And we say to people, look, look to try and do that three or four times a day because often what we do is we rush from this one to this one to this one. Busy, busy, busy. And we have that busyness myth because if you're busy, you must be good at what you're doing um, around it. So it's around how do I actually stop and pause and just have a wee check in to see how I'm going. And it's not about going, I've got to feel good all the time. It could be, well, I'm a bit tired at the moment. Okay, so what I might do is just um, push that meeting back 10 minutes and go and have a coffee and sit down and just recharge. I might go and have something really nutritious. I might go and ring my partner because that energizes me. So, so, I suppose the battery analogy is that, you know, life takes stuff out of us, energy out of us. So, what do you do then to, I suppose, put life back into that battery? Because a lot of us, we do run on empty at times. But if you don't know you're empty, you can't follow it up. And generally, what happens, we wait until something really big happens, where there's a, a house scare or there's a massive argument or something, or we just crash and then we go, oh, wow, yeah, I should have done something about that. But then we don't learn from that. Then we go and do the same stuff again. Yeah.
0: Is that a Kiwi thing or is that a human thing? You know, I think Kiwis traditionally tend to be, you know, is that like you said before, that she'll be right sort of attitude that sort of, oh, I'm fine. You know, like the amount of times that someone said they're fine and then, you know, walked into the room and burst into
1: tears is probably a... Um <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I think it's, I don't, I don't know, I, I think other cultures are probably better than, than us. But, you know, you, you walk into a room and I had a session with a, a team this week and I said, how's everyone going? And what was the answer? Good or Okay. I went, why aren't you great? And they looked at me like I was a retard. I mean, what do you mean? Well, why would you not want to be great? You want to be great at your sport, so why are you accepting good? Um, and it's not about being great all the time either. I mean, I'm not saying this is a Pollyanna place and we drive, you know, everything's always happy all the time. But we should be aspiring to it. You know, we want to feel great all the time. We want to do great things. But then what will underpin that? Well, it goes back to what we said at the start. Well, what does your wellbeing look like mm. to give you the energy to be able to be persistent and patient to get there um, around it. So this is where, you know, there's all these pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, but the well-being piece, Mm -hmm. understand yourself and understand what well-being looks like for you, will underpin your performance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think self-awareness is probably also a really important element to recognise when you are... Doing well as well because it's really important to take a stock and say, hey, look, you know, maybe I'm not 100 percent at the moment, or this is where I am. But also, if you don't have that self awareness piece, you know, if if you're trying to create a successful, me- you know, metric that's not associated with a specific result, then you know, to actually sit back and go, you know what, I actually feel like I'm doing really
1: well at the moment. 100. Uh, percent We don't do it enough, and often we. That's the key thing around goals is if you have a goal, then you can review it. You know, and often we talk about when you review your goal, a couple of questions you ask, right, what was my goal? The first question you ask, what went well? Because often what we do is now I, I talk to a player, right, you played in the weekend, how would you go? Oh, yeah, I dropped that ball and missed that tackle. I didn't ask what went wrong. I said, how was the game? And we, they were focused on a 30-second piece of an 80-minute game. And so it's trying to get them to understand, okay, well, what went well first? Even if you missed 50 tackles, you would have made one. So let's start with what went well, you know, and then the part of that, okay, what did you learn from that? And if we can just shift that, and then what are we most proud of? And it just shifts that lens. I mean, often the lens is what we call because our lens is so into the negative. We're so good at telling people what they aren't doing. And even you know, your parent hat on, you get home and maybe the kids' bags are on the floor. We drill in on that. Now, they might have taken the dog for a walk. They might have cleaned their bedroom. They might have done some really good stuff. But you walk and going, oh God, it's the 20th time I've told you, move your bags. And then the kids kind of go, well, you didn't notice the other stuff I did. Now, don't get me wrong, this stuff is really hard to do because mm. we, we get in the house and we look for that negative stuff. Um, so how do we give the attention to the things that they're doing well? And it's the same with athletes, it's the same with our colleagues, it's the same with our relationships. When when they do things well, we tend to gloss them over. When they don't do things well, we tend to drill down into it. So it's how do we switch that lens so when you get home and, and they have done something well, um, you know, whether it's your children or an athlete, whatever it is, how do we actually reinforce that behaviour more consistently? Because that's when we get the movement. We, if we keep telling people what they can't do, we well, are not going to build confidence at all, but we're very good at doing that as parents, as coaches and everything else. Yeah, it's a whole paradigm shift, isn't it? It's not just a,
0: a simple sort of like, all right, let's start doing that. It's the way that we see the world and we know, it. like you talked about the negativity bias, it's hardwired into us to, yep. to look for things that are wrong because generally that'd be dangerous in the, yep. in the past, but not anymore. But it's a whole, um, you know, you have got to, you talk about changing the lens, which is such a great analogy because the lens is, you know, what you see the world through and it's like that's your paradigm it's, yep. and it's a, a tough thing to, um, to switch.
1: I remember when a guy came over um, – Matt Skiles, and Matt does a lot of the positive coaching um, stuff in Australia, and his wife, Lee Lee Waters, is probably the um, guru around strength-based parenting and strengths and character strengths. And, you know, he said that the same thing. He said you know, he came over and did a talk at Christ College a couple of years ago, and he said, he gave this example. He goes, look, for me to come over here for three days, my wife probably has to change a hundred things. You know, So it's a big commitment for her because she's a very busy person. And he said, but when I get home, she has a habit of leaving the keys in the door. And he goes, you know, which really frustrates him. Obviously, security, it's not great leaving the keys in the door. And he said, so I get home and she's done all these amazing things, looked after the kids and allowed me to get over here and do this. And the first thing I say to her, left the keys in the door again. And he goes, even he said, even though when I'm saying it, I'm known, just shut up. Don't say it. Don't say it. And he keeps on saying it. So it is. It is you have to be very intentional around this because we're almost wide to look for it. Um, but if we get better, it's like you know, if you train it, you get better at it. Um, and it's not about trying to be perfect with it, but if you just switch that over, so instead of walking the door and saying the keys in the door and hey, well, thank you for looking after the kids for three days and changing all your appointments so I could go and do my job, rah rah, then she feels good, but we don't. Yeah, and we've all had situations where as you're talking, you're saying shut up to yourself, but you keep talking. So that's why this stuff's hard.
0: Yeah, but it's still again, you've said it. And then it's self awareness, it's the ability to intercept that thought and go. Before you say the keys are left in the door, it's go, hold on, that's my uh, natural instinct to focus on that. You know, yep. it, I can talk about that later,
1: intercept it. But it's almost in the car, accepting that she probably has left the keys in the door. So accept that's going to happen. <laughs> so before you get out of the car going, right, she probably has right. So, <sighs> right, I just need to change that. A little bit. I need to walk in there. If they're in the door, I just need to walk past it. Now, two days later, we might have that discussion about the keys in the door. But right now, We don't. And that's the bit with communication, we miss each other. Yeah. You know, he's walking in the door, she wants to see him, the kids want to see him, and he's going, hey, you haven't done this. So then he gets her back up a wee bit next minute, and we've all done it yeah. this isn't about, I'm not sitting here saying I'll get this right, I've got a wife and she'd tell you many times I get it wrong as my yeah. kids would, but if we become more intentional and aware of it, you've got more chance it goes back to that self-awareness yeah. you know, so this goes back to that stop during the day You know, if you have a meeting and you know the next meeting is with a really you know, a niggly client so don't just go straight into the meeting, stop mm-hmm. pause, go to the toilet just check in and see how I'm going, right, yep good to go, so I know they can get my back up, so what do I need to do about that how do I don't need to be aware of the things that they can do? So, so instead of going, they going to hope they don't do it. Going, they probably will do it, So when it happens, right, this is how I'm going to respond to it. Again, theory is really easy, mm-hmm. but if you create some habits and routines around it, yeah. then it becomes what you do. Yeah. Um, so, and that's the thing. It doesn't matter whether you're a high-performing athlete, working in an office, at school. We can all do this. Mm-hmm. But it's just trying to shift that.
0: Yeah, and it seems like this, from what you're saying that yeah, the that mental skills is very much uh, an in-house game. Like it's it's not something. I mean, maybe you would know far more than me. Is it something that a team can take responsibility over, or is it more something that you have to say? Look, like here's the here's the stuff that we know that is
1: going to be helpful to you but you have to do the work yourself Oh, look it's like a gym program I mean in the, the day I can't make someone mentally fit um, I can't make someone want to do something it's not my role I mean often people coaches go can you come and do a motivational talk and I go no it's not to me to motivate them if they're not motivated well you've got a problem already in itself so if you're looking from a, a team point of view often you'll work with individuals one-on-one because everyone's different but the same. Um, around it, often I think that there's some really key things people are really similar with, but there's other things around their preparation or their mindset, how they do things, will be slightly different. But then as a team, it's just as important because if we can, this is that vulnerability bit, and this is where successful teams do this very well, is they create really strong relationships. They create an environment, often we talk about the four S's, you know, safe, seen, soothed, secure. And an environment that has those four S's, you would tend to be a bit more vulnerable than an environment which, not as physical safety, but there's emotional it's not safe to do things. So, once you can kind of get that, then we can start talking about okay, so, you know, Matt, what do you need in a game when you start getting into the red? And it could be I just need a pat on the back, I need to kick up the bum, I just need you to, to stop me, tell me to breathe, and tell me what's the next task, whatever it is, you know. But what do I need from each other? Because if we don't know what we need, we don't give it. And it's no different from a relationship, you know, being clear on right, if I come home from work and I'm really stressed, this is what I need from my partner, and this is what my partner needs from me, and vice versa. We don't tend to have those conversations. We tend to hope we can read people. Now, we're terrible at reading people. You know, body language, I think, is about 50% accurate. So it's the ability, how do we actually start being more vulnerable, actually going, look, at, it was a really tough day today. I'm okay, but I'm probably a 4 out of 10. I'm still really paid because that that uh, presentation didn't go well and the feedback was negative, so I can't quite drop that yet. I'll drop it soon but I just need a bit of space. And this is the bit we're probably not that good at. We just tend to, especially as guys, go into a cave and just ignore everything and make it worse. So it's how we are okay with not being okay, but also being able to let our family know or people, our loved ones know what they need to do in that space. Because we either do the wrong thing or we do nothing. You know, So, yeah. so from a team point of view, it's the same thing. If, if the players can understand what each other needs, then they can support each other. Because yeah. they're going to make mistakes, they're going to drop passes, they're going to... Throw balls away, then all these other things and all your sports are gonna happen. But if it's coming from a place of self compassion for themselves as an individual and a place of compassion from the team, then that environment comes safe. Yeah, as opposed to a judgment. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And I guess that's
0: culture, and that was sort of one of my questions today is 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 is, um you know, how what role does culture play in, in high performance?
1: Oh, massive. I mean, again, it goes back to the mental skills and some of the stuff. I don't think we put a high enough price on culture at times. We hope it goes well. And unfortunately, when we have winning cultures, we think it's a good culture um, around it. Sometimes you just have a good team um, around it. So I remember working um, with a team years ago, and the first couple of years, they they had really success, good success. And um, the third year wasn't that successful. And... um, so the fourth year again great insight from the coach he got up and said look look team the, the, the first couple of years for us was like a, the first two years of relationships a lot of lust it was easy you know we we're really attracted to each other and it was great said so the third year we started taking things for granted you know we weren't doing the little things really well and they fell over with it. So here was about identifying, right, we need to go back to working on our culture. And I think it's like a relationship. We actually got to work on it. Just because it's going well doesn't mean we kind of go right, things are going well. For me, culture is massive. It will define um, players, seasons, coaches. And when you have a good culture, a good culture is a robust culture. It's a challenging culture. It's a lot of conflict in the culture, and we argue well and we move on. And so some of the teams I'm involved with do it really, really well. And I think people confuse culture with happiness, you know? Comfortable, um, but then there's no challenge. And so you have a team meeting, no one says anything, and then you talk to the athlete one on one and they moan and groan about everything. And it's like, go. hold on, we just had a situation where you could have brought that up, but if the environment's not safe enough or yeah. well, they don't want to show enough courage, then they don't bring it up. So look, culture's massive and, you know, winning helps that culture, don't get me wrong. But I've been involved with some teams who have had great cultures and lost every game. I've also been involved with some teams who have won a lot and, and the culture's been pretty average. Yeah. So for sustained success, I think the culture underpins it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree. I mean, it was a slightly leading question. Uh, but, you know, like it's – I think it's the same in sport. It's in, in, in business and in anything you're in. If the, if the culture's off, it doesn't matter how, how you know, yeah. how, you know skilled the the talent is. Um, so I guess a follow-up question is, is ha- what are some ways to, you know, help create or, you know, a high-performance culture within a team?
1: Yeah, look, the key part is it's clarity of vision and values where you're going. You know, what are the standards – we're not going to walk past. But also what goes with culture, you've got to have good people. That's the reality of it. I mean, it, if you have a team of, say, 20, you know, you get three or four who aren't on board, that, that's enough to disrupt at at times. So it's no different from a business or a team. You've got to select the right people. And this is why I think a lot of teams are doing really well now because they, that character piece is becoming more and more important um, because I know someone who hasn't got the right characteristics will disrupt things too much. Now, a team of 20-odd can probably support one or two of them because then they either come up with a culture or they get moved on. And this is the bit where sport's lucky, luckier than business, because business, you can't just fire someone. Sport, we can. They're not contracted. They're not picked um, around it. So, look, it's getting clarity of vision and values. It's getting the right people. Leadership's massive. Um, you know, look, at our most successful teams generally have some really good leadership, and they have a really good top management. They have a good middle management. They have one's coming through um, around it. So they're probably your combinations what create that culture. And the key thing is, is ensuring that then how do you sustain that culture? And it's around having conversations and some of those conversations are uncomfortable. And this is a bit of humans. A lot of teams don't do very well as we we don't challenge very well. We wait till it's really gone up in the air and then we challenge. Um, it's how do you pick up those little things on a consistent basis? Because then those little things don't become the big things um, around it. So look, some coaches will really invest time in this and, and they get the rewards for it.
0: Yeah, and it's something that's not—it's um, not tangible on paper either. You know, you talked about before, and you, know, uh, you know, talked about trying to measure character or whatever it is. But a culture is not something you can—you can look at on paper and say that you know there are there are nine out of ten at the moment or whatever it is. It's something that's yeah. very sort of—you um, know—I don't know what the. The correct term is, but it's, you know, it's it's, it's a feeling, isn't it? It's a...
1: look, isn't it but it's, it's it's the simple stuff. And I look at you know, the, the Crusaders do it really well and, and it's led by a lot of the senior players and obviously the, the coaches and rage and those guys, but simple things like coffee chats where that they will finish training and go and have a coffee. It sounds like you know, it doesn't come out in the review there, But those chats where they're engaging as humans, they're engaging as rugby players, those things are massive because that that's what brings the things closer together. And I think where they're lucky down here from the rugby example, and cricket to a point now too, is that everyone lives pretty close by. So it's not like you've got to hop on the motorway and drive in our home. So everyone's happy to kind of finish training, cruise around. And that, that you can't underestimate that connection stuff. You know, so, you actually get to know the person more than what they do. Um, you get to know what they're about. And you get to know who's in their family and, and what makes them tick. And those things are crucial. And in businesses, it's how do they create space to do that? So, it's not kind of this artificial one, but it's actually it's kind of real. Now, it doesn't mean everyone gets on. I think people think, you know, good cultures, everyone gets on. Well, you don't have to get on, but you still have to be respectful um, towards it. So, the key thing around culture, you've got to work on it. And that's the bit everyone starts off with the pre season or. A business at the start of the year and does a culture pitch, then then I go back to it, and then they wonder why ten months later no one's doing the culture. Well, we haven't talked about it since January. Yeah, that's the small things done often, isn't it? Look, it is, and everyone's looking for that. What's this golden thing that makes people successful? That is more more consistent doing the little things well.
0: Yeah. I think that's a, that's an unwritten law of nature, consistency trumps intensity. Is you know like that sort of you look at nature, it's like a you know a a tiny drip on a cave roof for for you know thousands of years creates a big you know thing yeah. and and you know you look at it's a it's the same sort of way. I remember I watched the All Blacks documentary that um when it was on Amazon TV, yep. I forget exactly what it was called, but yeah. um, there was a scene in it, and it was it just epitomised it to me. And, and there were, it was a team run through, and the ball came off the top of the line out. Aaron Smith passed the ball, and um, and I think it was Graham Henry was like, "Stop! Stop! 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 Stop!" Everyone stopped, and he was like, "Aaron, thumbs on top of the ball." redo it again. And I was like, and I had this epiphany in my head. I was like, the All Blacks aren't great because they know something that anyone else does or because they've got the secret that no one else does or whatever it is. They're great because they do a thousand, the thumbs are on top of the ball every time. And it's those thousand little things that end up creating the the All Black, the legacy and and, and what they've become. And I think there's a lot of synergies between that and um, you know anything that's done well. There's no secret Recipe, silver bullet. It's
1: look, there's not, and that's the simple things to do, is easy to do, easy not to do. That's the reality. Of it. Yeah,
0: what James does, isn't it?
1: Yeah. yeah. And so, if you want to be successful or happy, anything, just do your basics. I mean, there's some athletes, their basics are going to bed at nine o'clock. That's because they know if they go to bed at nine mm-hmm. o'clock, they get a good night's sleep, and then generally the day goes well. It's, it can be as simple as that. But most people, they're looking for this big thing. And you know, Simon Sinek talks around that this generation, they're so impatient. And, and, you know, look at when we first got internet, you'd sit there and go to a page and go and make a cup of tea and come <laughs> back, and you might be lucky it's got to the page. Where now, suddenly, if hasn't come within a second, I'm going, what's happening? Come on. So we are impatient. So everyone's looking for that, that big thing that will move them. Um, you know, I say this to anyone, whether it's in business, whether it's as a parenting or, or sport, just understand the little stuff and just put a high price on it. Because most years, you know, with some athletes or teams we worked with for a long time ago, you know, what's next? What's the next thing? I go, just get more consistent at that thing. And they go, yeah, but what else? Just get more consistent at that. And you know we're looking for this this magic thing that will get there, and that's the bit. If we don't trust what we're doing, we start searching. And yeah. when we start searching, that's when we'll get ourselves in trouble, but we can lose focus of where we're going.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's
1: about key about having that really that
0: clarity on where we are going and why it's important. You know one of our, our my jobs is in the fitness industry, you know and it's, um it's it's all too often you see um, you know the, people come in with full of enthusiasm and, and gusto and they go flat out for three weeks and and, and then they're, they're done. you know and the, the reality is if you want to be healthy, it's not about doing that. it's about you know going to the gym three times a week forever.
1: And it's starting off maybe twice a week. Yeah, that's or once saying, a week. Yeah it's, yeah, it's just it's the small stuff, and that, that's the bit that, you know, often when I talk to people, I go, look, you know, you're probably going to be quite bored with what I say because you're probably looking for this special thing. Um, there isn't one. It's just, yeah. it's, it's just having a goal mm-hmm. and going, right, that's what I want, and then going, okay, well, what goes underneath that goal? Well, these are the things I'm going to do, and then going towards that goal. And some yeah. days you're going to be really energized and some days you're not. But guess what? Nothing changes. You don't have to feel good to do that goal. You don't have to feel good to get out of bed at 6 in the morning. Cause if you if, you know that's the thing about motivation why would you be motivated to get out of bed at six in the morning when you're nice and warm it makes no sense you know and your body goes this is this is comfortable here so just be dedicated you know that's the key thing around We we were always we want things to feel good and sometimes it doesn't feel good but it doesn't mean you can't do things mm-hmm. and so it's just getting people to understand that as I said it doesn't have to feel good you don't have to feel good to do it but you know if you keep doing it things will start changing and that's where the long-term plans become yeah. really important. Yeah, that sort of patience, isn't it? Yeah, but also, as you said before, it's celebrating the little things you've done well. So when you did get up in the morning when you didn't really want to, you kind of give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah. Don't wait till you've achieved the big goal. Yeah. How do you actually celebrate those little little wins we have every day? Yeah. And we often don't do those enough because those are the things that kind of build up our confidence and and our motivation because we reflect on those, but often we don't.
0: Yeah. I say within our teams, it's always recognise and reward the behaviour that aligns with the goal. Yeah. You know, that's the most important thing, I think. Um uh, James Clear, the Atomic Habits author, talks about uh, uh, this interesting sort of conundrum about um, delayed gratification, and and I can't remember it uh, perfectly off the top of my head. But what he sort of says is, uh, if there's short-term uh, gratification, there's generally a long-term consequence. If there's a short-term consequence, there's generally long-term gratification. And and the you know the analogy might be like you know well a, a bit of cake is, is is pleasurable now and there's there's short-term benefit, but the consequence long-term is it's yep. not very good for me. And the you know the other role is if I eat an apple, what's well, maybe not the the, the short term benefits maybe not quite as good because it's not quite as tasty but there's a long term sure. benefit for it and I think that um, as human beings particularly in, in 2020 you know we have this sort of idea that um, you know we don't like delaying grad- it's why we took so 20 years to stop smoking it's because smoking doesn't affect you when you have the cigarette smoking affects you in 30 years time when you're on your deathbed and you're going I'm only 50 years old or whatever it is and, right, yeah. and humans have that a very poor ability to to bring consequences into the now.
1: Well, look, there was that marshmallow experiment they talked around with the kids. I can't remember when it was and around, you know, the, the kids that didn't eat the marshmallow. They were given another marshmallow if you don't eat this one and you get a second one and most of the kids ate it. So that has been challenged a wee bit, but it does come back to that. How do we, you know, be okay with being a bit hungry? I mean, it's saying, That's the problem now is we want to be fulfilled straight away. And this is the whole thing with the social media. That's what the social media does for us. It gives us that dopamine because yeah. we get it straight away and it feels really good. So, And it comes back to that success part. Well, what's some other ways um, I can learn to get that feeling? And one of my massive learnings, I worked with the tactics for about 12 years and, you know, we went through 10 years of probably winning one game a year. Um, you know, we're, I think we averaged 1.75 wins a year. I mean, it was tough. And he had some amazing athletes, and Marie Bowden, Anna Thompson, Jodie Seymour, Jody Brown, uh, Harry Saunders. It was some chess molds you know we had some really good players at times too. But it was it was for me it was the best learning to go through because my success couldn't be whether this team was winning because we weren't. And at times I actually probably did some better work with them than anyone else because I had to keep trying to find something else to do. But it was a great reminder for me that my success could not be tied into whether a team wins or an athlete performs because I've got no control over that. And so, you know, luckily I had some really good supervisors to kind of go, right, what am I doing? But it allowed me then to go, right, I'm going to get my success from how prepared I am, what research I've done, what I'm bringing, am I consistent with my presentations? And it really allowed me then to kind of really separate my role from whatever the athlete does. And it probably allowed me then to to enjoy this role even more. So when I'm working with the teams, I actually, when they win or lose, I, I'm pretty even both ways. It doesn't, I don't, the satisfaction is doing the good job, not them them winning. Um, so it was a good one early on in my, in my career to kind of go through that because it was incredibly challenging. Um, you know, people would second-guess you, so you'd second-guess yourself, and you'd turn up some weeks just going, oh, my gosh, you know, what is next? But it allowed me then to kind of drill down going, well, why am I doing this work? Um, what do I get out of it? Because if what I'm getting out of it is the team has to win for me to be feel good, then I'm in trouble. Um, so it really allowed me to kind of sit back and reflect and go right. Let's actually create some my own measurements around success. Let's run with that. Um, and then it became a little bit easier. We still struggled at times, and now that under Marianne, they're doing. You know, they're starting to get some really good success now, which mm. is great. But success can't be in that winning because it's it, there's too many variables.
0: Yeah. I ask most of my guests um how they define success and um it's a question that, that um you know, I don't think anyone really thinks about and I think what you've brought up there and what you've highlighted is really, really interesting that that it's a really good exercise to actually to try and figure out what success looks like to you. Um and 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 really looks Because like, it's not it's not getting the promotion or kicking the goal or hitting the ball or whatever it is. It's uh it's um Jordan Peterson said that that, that happiness is, is is progressing towards something you value, you know, figuring out what it is that, that you really value. And it's not, you know, not might, might be good in being good at a sport or a,
1: or Which, a, That's part of. It. We don't want them to lose that compared to veg, but yeah. I don't want them to measure themselves on that. Yeah. And particularly with a lot of sports. When you know, cricket's a good example as a batsman, you know, you got no control half the time. You can do everything right and nick out a ball. You know, you can do everything wrong and somehow scratch a fifty. So we are talking you know, a lot of the athlete. You know, the cricket that's around. Okay, what does what does success look like? Because we know there's going to be outcome success about runs. You will get measured on that. That's fine. But what are you going to measure yourself on? Because that way you can go out there and get a first ball of two games in a row, but be successful because your prep was good, your mindset was good, your intentions were good, your game plan was good, whatever it was. Or actually, you know, you actually looked after your family real well that week and, and spent some good quality time. So success isn't just around this from the sporting point of view, it's around your actual day to day life. And I think often we get caught up in successes around doing mm. that, which is important. But what's some other things you're successful in? Mm. And it's a bit, you know, touchy feeling because people go, well, it's not about winning. Well, it's not about winning because you can redefine winning too. Because only one team can win. So if we're going to measure ourselves on winning all the time, well, that's not that helpful either. And I think that's what the All Blacks have done very well. They know they want to win, but they actually want to be the most dominant team. So that never stops. And so you can keep working towards that. So if you win stuff, you don't you don't get there. And it's the same with us as people. Is that I don't think we ever get to that point where we've had our potential. And that's the exciting part. It's like, I'm terrible at golf, and that's what I love about it, is that you never master it. You, know? you don't have to be good at something to like it. Um, but again, it's just, it's just looking at that different, it comes down to that mindset. What's your mindset around how you perceive things? Because yeah. like, that's a massive part. And a lot of the time we get very fixed in our mindset and that just shuts down our ability then to live the life we want to live. And the scary thing is people. a lot of people don't even know this. They're actually just living thinking they're doing really well. And they potentially are, but they could be so much better and that's 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 the, that's the challenge is how you get it across them. There's, where you are now, there's another space if you want to. Yeah. Doesn't matter where you are. There's always another another level. Yeah.
0: So so uh, what would that you know process look like then? If someone's listening and gone like oh, everything you've just said is, is is spot on for me, how would you start to redefine what a success might mean to you? You know, we're very, very accustomed to it being um, in comparison to someone else. You know, success is doing better than my neighbour or my friend, and it's a terrible way to look at life and and, and happiness. Um, you know, it's, it's, we're very accustomed to it being you know financially driven or the size of your house or the car you drive if someone what is listening that says all right i would be interested in, in re- redefining what success me- really means to me is there some questions they
1: could ask themselves or a process they could follow yeah there probably is i mean probably it starts with with, with your values and your why um and probably you know what do you want i mean wh- you know how do you want people to perceive you and then are you're living that basically there's a Often we think this is who we are, but then when we ask other people, maybe this is who we think we are. But for me, values is a really good starting point because that's your compass. you know. So for me, success is am I living my values on a consistent basis? Not am I living them 100% because they always get challenged. But So for someone to sit back and kind of go, okay, well, what sort of life do I want and what are the values that drive that behaviour? And then am I am I aligning with those? And I'd always suggest I've been lucky and probably you have too. I've had some amazing mentors in my life from, from school, university, to my work career. And so surround yourself with people who can mentor you. And, and you want a mentor who can challenge you, who can, who can who's, who's a wise counsel, who can kind of give you some good feedback. You want people who can actually really be honest with you too, basically around it. So find people who are like-minded. That's the key thing around it. Change is really hard. There's no two ways about it. You know, we know, um, you know, it's like, you know, health and well-being at the moment. We know what we should be doing, but most of us don't do it. You know, I was driving home last night at, what was it, it's quarter to eight, and the Q8 side KFC was just ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's every week. It's the same thing. It's like, well, how often are you doing that? And I'm not judging that. That's, you shouldn't be doing that, but we know it's not that healthy for us um, around it. So probably the starting point is going, okay, well, where am I now and where do I want to get to? And then how do I get feedback on, on how I'm actually going with it? What are the values that would drive that behavior? Where do I want to be, be in five years' time? Where, where do I want to be with Because there's nothing wrong with wanting to be financially secure. You know, around it, but then I'm going, okay, well, what does that look like? And but what will actually make me happy with that? Why do I want that big house? Because when I get that big house and I move into it, then what? Now, if if you get there and go, I oh, know it's gonna make me happy, we'll give it a crack. Someone's got to learn what those things are. But as you know, as we get older, often those material things don't become as important mm. um, as what we thought they'd be. And and athletes, are the same. Sometimes they win stuff and they get back and they're kind of like, oh, I'm going, what? And they said, I thought it'd be different. Well, you get back. Everyone goes, "Hey, well done!" And then guess what? They carry on with their life. Mm-hmm. So, so it's often, you know, I say, well, "What are you doing today that's going to impact on someone else's life?" And I think that's part of me, uh, you know, with, with people, is that you know, how do you want to, you know, it's almost that legacy stuff. What do you want to leave around it? And and people often struggle with that because yeah. it's a hard one. It's almost that meaning and purpose is, you know, what is your meaning and purpose in this life? Mm. And, and, and it's a really hard question to get a head around. And it's even as I'm talking, I'm kind of going, right, do I, am I clear on that at times? Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. But for me, it's, a, you know, are you a good parent? Are you a good person? Mm. And, and you start with that stuff and you build on it, basically. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you can still chase financial stuff because you might enjoy this. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just think you get a little bit unfulfilled when you get there. Yeah.
0: It's that hedonic adaptation, isn't it? It's that you get there, and then it's the carrot still a foot in front of you when you
1: get there. Yeah, but then you—I you, got a five-bedroom house, but now I want a six, yeah. I'm on a six, and a seven. And dog, I don't. It's not necessarily wrong with that because if, if that does fulfil you, because I think for some people it potentially does. Mm. But one day you'll wake up and kind of go, "Now what?" I think because our, our key thing is is relationship. We're relationship people. We're wired to, to to be around people in relationships, so I think for me it's around what do you what are you leaving in this world, which again is, is cliche, but that's the bit you know it's almost that death deathbed thing, you know what are your key lessons you learn in life on your deathbed? Yeah. Well, it's not that I wanted a bigger house <laughs> or, or more money, yeah. and it's not, and it sounds it's a tough one to you know you talk about questions. I think it's a, it's not a quite nice one. Or you know what do you want someone to say at your fiftieth?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh wow, Matt was such a great guy. He had a six bedroom house and a three car garage and had a jet boat. Wow. No, we don't want that. We want Matt was really great because he supports me. Matt was awesome because he does this. So... Probably that's your starting point.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great question because, you know, that's when you start coming up with things like you want people to say that you are honest and integral and you did what you said and you're a good father or whatever it is. And I think that then that can drive behaviour immediately because you're like, well, if I want them to say I was honest, I can be honest now. That's not a – there's no recipe to that. i just going to tell the truth, you know, like and, and, um, you know, thinking about, you know, what your legacy is and what people are going to say about you after you're gone is probably
1: a fantastic place to start. But it's it's almost like, you know, what do you want your wife to say about you? You know, when she has a girls weekend, what do you want to say? The usual stuff that we do wrong, but <laughs> is he a really supportive father? Um, you know, has he got my back the whole time? I mean, what are the things that he does, or, or your kids particularly? Because um, as you said, it does kind of centre you back into that real stuff Yeah. because what other people out there think, who cares, but what are the people actually close to you? I, mean, yeah. I don't know if New Zealand rugby still do it. They used to do a, a question in their, um, uh, I don't know if it's a well-being assessment each year, but to the partners is, you know, is your partner proud that you work here? it's actually a quite great question because, you know, your partner gets home, they don't like their job. We we moan and groan and bitch and on about it. So if your partner is really proud of you working there, probably you come home and talk about the job in a nice way. Yeah. So it's a nice way to kind of get an idea. Oh, that's a really good point. So there's probably some places I've worked or things I've done that, No, my wife probably wasn't that proud of me working Mm. there because I'd come home and bring it home with me all the time. Yeah. So...
0: Yeah, it's interesting. That's a good question. I had, um, I did some work through this. I think it might have been the Winner's Bible that brought it out, and it was, um, and it was, uh, t- when have you been lit up? You know, t- talk about times you've been lit up and then, you know, what was it that lit you up about it? And, and um, I mean, I'll, I'll share it, but it sort of, it was, for me, it was, I had these, I found these, these moments in my life when really important people had said they were proud of me, you know, like, uh, you know, a parent or my wife or, you know, when they mean it. It's not like, yeah. hey, you know, good job for getting play of the day. It's like, how yeah. I'm, you know, and they've said that. And I was like, that for me was, you know, and so I, I do, I think about this sort of stuff a lot and I whittled my sort of, I don't know if it's a why or a purpose, but I wanted to create a legacy that my family were proud of. And so for me, that means that, you know, everything I do, I kind of want, like if you bumped into my daughter in, in 20 years time and and I'd, you know, if whatever, and we figured out that she was my daughter, I'd want you to say things to her that she'd go, I'm really proud that. He's my dad, you know, and so and for me that was that sort of. It took me years to figure that out, like years and years. But you know, it sort of became to quite a nice thing, and 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 it now I guess is able to drive most things I do.
1: You just need to change what they're proud of to what I'm proud of too, because otherwise, what we do, we get external stimulation around. Because we've got to be proud of what we're doing too around it. Otherwise, you know, you look, it's like confidence. You know, we get confidence from performance, we get confidence in preparation, but often we get confidence from people saying stuff to us. And it's like with athletes where we can't guarantee people saying stuff. So we also get confidence from our own self-talk. So what are the other things that you can make sure you're proud of so that way if you don't get that, I'm still really happy yeah. with it, around it. Yeah. Um, but, look, I think that proud one's really important because I think, look, we all want to make an impact at times. There's no two ways about it, and that's often why we get into this work. But anything we do, we want to, we want to make an impact. And I think our family is a really good starting point because, you know, we want our kids to do well. We want our families to do well. And this is it, but, you know, Creating that space in a week or a month, whatever, when so we actually really sit back and go, "Show where am I at the moment," because sometimes we do get busy and we forget this stuff. Mm-hmm. and then we can kind of go, right, let's just kind of get back to where we want to go. I mean, we do simple stuff with the athletes, just a simple traffic like, you know, the green is, right, this is you at your best and, it, and there's five or six different headings around that from their training from their relationships, mindset, nutrition. This is what we want at the best and this is orange is kind of, you, you're doing enough but it's probably not going to get you where you want to get to and red is obviously you're not doing it. And it's just a simple way of us reminding because we know what this looks like but we forget about it. You know, if I had a dollar for every athlete who had a really good routine and habits and then for whatever reason they lost a bit of form and they ring me up and we go, okay, let's get your habits and routines out, generally they've just taken shortcuts. Yeah. And so you have this meeting they go, oh, that was really awesome. We go, no, you just you just go back to what, you, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. you should have done. Yeah, the simple things. that little But we forget while, yeah. to do it because when we're successful we take shortcuts because we think we don't need to do it. Yeah. And then when we're not successful we start changing it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's the same with, um, you know, like, uh, I listened to a psychologist on a podcast and he said, you know, people walk into a doctor's office and talk about anxiety and depression. The first question should be, tell me about your sleep, your exercise and your diet. sleep not, not- not- yeah, not um, you know what medication have, you know is is going to be best suited for you, and I think yeah, so it's, it's same with an athlete. If there things aren't going well, you just go right back and say, are you doing the right things that we know that have got you there in the first place? Because when people are doing well, we often get complacent and stop doing all the small things that stopped us that got that got us there in the first place.
1: And the flip side of that is how we actually go to the doctor and go, hey, doctor, I'm really good. <laughs> so the doctor goes, why? I'm doing these four things. Cool, keep doing them. You know, we still have that very deficit model of our health. Yeah. We wait till things aren't going well. You know, go to a counsellor when things are going well or a psychologist and unpack why things are going well. Yeah. But we don't. We wait till things aren't going well, then we go and go and try and fix things. Well, that's the hardest time to fix it because it could be too, not, not too late, but yeah. you've gone in a path. So this is that bit of our society. How do we actually use those professionals from a positive, not a deficit model basically yeah. around it? You know, the, the best work I can do with an athlete is when they're going well. So we talk about the right stuff. Yeah, let's so Wait until it's not going well, then we're trying to pick up the pieces to move it forward. So it's just that kind of shifting again, a mindset around it. Yeah,
0: it's so interesting because it's it's a, it's very very common. You know, like if someone hurts their knee, they'll go to someone, and all they're trying to do is get back to where they were. You know, like and people work really hard. You know, like you know again in, in the fitness industry, you might see someone there's an injury. They come in, they do their six week program, they get back to normal, and then they're done again. It's like well. You know, there's some real benefits, and not just trying to get to be zero. It's like neutral. It's like let's work really hard. What about, what would five look like? Plus five. You know, like and trying to avoid. You know, so again, that's a mind mindset thing. But um, it's that that comfort level around just being okay you know, existing.
1: It is, and often the same thing. You imagine a graph: zero, negative one, down to ten, and, and then plus one to ten. You know, unless we invest in looking after ourselves and get to plus two, plus three, plus four, plus five. That's how we become resilient. So then when something happens, if we're a five, we can drop to a four. But if we're already at a zero or a one, and then you know, COVID happens, well then we're next you know, we're negative two, three, four, or five. It's very hard to be resilient. You yeah. can still be a but well, it's hard. But if you are investing in yourself, so you've got your body armor on, like your physical armor from running or, or your weights, then we can be resilient. And that's the thing around it. We don't, we don't create that, um, we don't put enough emphasis on actually being proactive. And then we things aren't going well. We try and do stuff. Yeah, we're very simple. reactive, aren't we? Yeah, we are, and that's what I'm saying. That's that's why the stuff is hard, and that's why you know having a plan becomes really important around it. But if we don't put a high price on ourselves, no one else is going to. And and you know all of us doesn't matter what we're doing. We want to, we want to be happy. I haven't met anyone yet who says I don't want to be happy. So now it's going okay. If we all want that, what's that going to look like? How do I sit back and go right? What am I doing this week to make me happy? Not so it's twenty four seven and next month I don't do anything else because I'm just worried about myself, but what are some little things I can do each day? to kind of build that happiness up because there'll be things that were taken away there's no two ways about
0: it yeah yeah absolutely um, I, I want to ask you a, a, about a word that you've mentioned a couple of times and, and and generally isn't you know we talk about that sort of you know being a, a deficit or, 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 or positive um, it's vulnerability because you know when we talk about vulnerability traditionally that word's got some scary connotations yeah. particularly maybe for males you know yeah. to it being vulnerable is not something that we're generally proud of and it's not typically something we'd relate with the high performance environment you know vulnerability Vulnerable might be the opposite, in fact. So, you know, what does it mean to you and, and how does it sort of fit into your work and why is it a, a positive thing?
1: Look, it's certainly become more open for me. Vulnerable, I think people confuse vulnerability with telling everyone your deepest, darker secrets. And I remember I went to a workshop ages ago and and, and the, the people there were going, or the management there were going, like, we're going to be more vulnerable. And so they got up and started telling us all these things about them. And it's like, that's. <laughs> and they're really uncomfortable. I'm going. That's not vulnerability. That's the time of your life story. Vulnerability is getting up there, and going, "Hey, we made a mistake. Um, sorry, uh, we need to get on board. It was our fault." That's vulnerability. Um, at times, or someone goes, "How are you going?" And going, "Actually, I'm not great. Uh, I'm having a great day, but love to catch up later on about it." It's just for me, vulnerability is the ability to actually be honest about how we're how we're tracking around it. You don't need to know the ins and outs, but it's it being okay with not being okay. I mean, I say that to people around it. So. I think sports is certainly getting better at it because, again, the vulnerability creates um, creates that culture of connecting. Because the reality is, when we start to know people, understand people, that creates that empathy. Without understand people, we judge. You know, so if someone's always late to training, we start judging them. Oh, they're lazy. They don't want this. But when you get to know them, we realise that their parents drop them off, and their parents relate. Always oh, like, it's not their fault. Or they're not an athlete and their, their partner works and they've got the kids until that time, they can't change it. So if we take the time to get to know people, then we create this relationship, we actually start to understand of the why of their behaviour. Now, when we understand the why of someone's behaviour, we, we tend to be less judgmental. And it's no different when you see some horrific stuff through the courts and then you find out about the person's background. And you kind of go, oh, wow, that kind of makes a bit more sense while they behave that way. It doesn't make it okay what they did, but you kind of go, whoa, that's tough. So... The more we can kind of be vulnerable and open with people and get away from the, hey, you go, mate, yeah, I'm good, or, okay, let's, we've done the male stuff, we we'll are get into the real stuff, um, the better it will be. And it's, again, it's not about having to be deep and meaningful with people, it's just about being honest with people and mm. being okay with going, yeah, I've yeah, the wife was really annoying me last night or the, the kids are on my case or work's really stressful or, well, wow, I'm actually really worried about next year work. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with it. Now, we can't fix that, but often, as you know, when we get things out we tend to feel a little bit better with most of us Mm. um, around it. So for me, that vulnerability piece of, you know, putting your hand up and asking the question, that's a stupid question, Mm -hmm. you know. But it's almost a bit like, you know, courage, you know, to be vulnerable, you need to be scared. And to be courageous, you need to have fear. You, know, you can't be courageous if you're not scared. So sometimes it's the ability to go. How do I look to be vulnerable and work out what that means for you? Because it certainly doesn't mean you tell everyone your life story if you want to. That's fine. But mm. I don't personally see that as being vulnerability. I see it as being able to be honest about how you're tracking and what you're doing. And and if someone goes, "How are you going?" You you're happy to put put it out there, even though it's a bit scary. Mm.
0: And and sort of not not have it. Associated with
1: being weak. Oh, look, vulnerability is the new strong. I don't know if that's Brené Brown's saying, but yeah. it's one we've been using. It is because it's it just releases you because then we can be authentic. Mm. And I think that's one of the key words is you know how do we ensure you know we're authentic, authentic to who we want to be? And often we talk about having challenging conversations. And I go, well, if you actually just made them authentic, then they wouldn't be challenging because you're actually saying what you want to say. You're not holding back. And we've all done it. We've all been in meetings before when. You're sitting there going, oh, should I say that or not say that? Oh, I'm not too sure. And then we're not actually being authentic to ourselves. And so for me, if we could have more authentic conversations and what goes with that at times would be scary because you're worried about what people think. Then you say it and then realise that was actually okay. So it comes back to that fear part. Mm. Being okay with being scared.
0: Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. And I think um, like for me, you know, you one of the things you said is that, you know, if you're not feeling fantastic, you feel, you know, okay to say that. You know, like when I walk into, you know, one of our teams or whatever and someone says, how are you? Like I always feel like I have to say I'm great, I'm fantastic, I'm good, I'm like, you know, like I feel like I have to set the, the not the tone of the feeling but, you know, like it's like I want my behaviour and 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 sort of um, attitude to be, you know, inspirational to them and go, oh, well, you know, like that's the way. But um you're probably right that, you know, especially I know at the moment we're you know, dealing with bereavement, so it's 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 we're not. You know, I, I call myself saying today. How are you? Great. And it's like, it's, I'm probably the opposite from great at the moment. You know,
1: and that's that vulnerability, but being able to go, look, hey guys, I'm um guys and girls, and today is going to be a battle for me? I'm going to be okay. I'll get through this. But if you see me to being a little bit quieter today, or I'm not as engaged as usual, just just be aware of that and, and be okay with that. But this is a bit. No, I'm good. I'm fine. When we're not, that that's. You know, as I said, physically we do it really well. You know, if the physio goes, "How's your knee?" Oh, yeah, it's really sore. Mm. You know, the coach goes, "How, how are you feeling?" You know, I'm, you know I'm good. When we're not, so I think we get struggled that that you know, we're you know almost unpacking what it is to be a man. And I think you can still be strong, but vulnerability goes with that that strength, and it doesn't mean um, you know at times you have to kind of get on. You know, you might have a situation at work where you're not feeling it, but you've got to put that face on for today. Or in a game, the same thing. You might have had a massive argument with your wife, and um, the kids are doing all these things. But during the game, you've got to then switch it on sometimes. But we don't need to do it for 24 7. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, hey, look, I-, I am conscious of your time. One thing I, I did want to just um, talk about quickly, and you talked about it, uh, maybe you alluded to the answer at the very start of our conversation, and it was sort of, you know, uh, maybe my, I'm not as educated, obviously not as educated as you around this, but it seems that we're sort of we're this sort of phenomenon of ex- anxiety and depression that we seem to be facing, particularly in young people. and And my question is, um, are we are they facing challenges they haven't we we didn't face or they haven't been faced before? Are they are they not equipped with the skills to deal with them? Is it is it a whole new thing that we don't understand? Like it just seems like it's 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 and
1: a, a you know, everywhere. It is a phenomenon that seems to be taking over. Look, it's the combination of all you said there. I mean, I think, one, we're probably overused with anxiety. Um, Being scared's okay. Being worried's okay. Um, But I think it is real. You look at it now, you know, when I was at school, um, you know, we all played kind of festive fifteen, and festive eleven cricket and football and stuff. You train twice a week and then you play the rest of the week. It was no big deal. If you won on the weekend... No one said anything. He lost in the weekend. No one said anything. Now the kids train four or five times a week in sport and, and music and, and edu- you know, there's scholarship classes. There's extra stuff. So these kids aren't kids anymore. They're basically mini adults, and we're putting them through all these things to do. Um, social media is a massive one. So, you know, you and I would go into class and compare ourselves to the guy beside me. Now you can compare yourself to the whole world. Um, around it, so um, there's some, and you know, more and more research coming out around the impact that's having on young people. Because how do you kind of how do you kind of get your head around what you're seeing on social media? Because it, it's not real; it's the highlights real um, around it. So these kids have been exposed to stuff. Parents, you know, years ago, you probably lived in a, in a neighbourhood. Your grandparents were close by. Your aunties, uncles were close by. You know, we 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 survived by living in in, in groups. Now we all go back to our homes with four bedrooms, a screen each, and that's where the kids go and play. So, um, as parents, you know, when I was that younger, it was a TV. Um, So that was what Mum and Dad. They were too busy watch TV. What was TV one, TV two? Not many options. Uh, what was the Waltons or Happy Days uh, or the Crosby Show? So, you know, they're all kind of value driven programs. Probably the Crosby Show now is probably some issues around it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were generally value driven programs that we could control. Now, even MTV's got stuff now. I wouldn't want, didn't want my kids watching when they were younger because it was just sexualized females and males. So they've been bombarded with stuff that we never had to worry about. And, and we can't under underestimate that. Um, around it, you know, if we wanted to find out what sex was, we had to get the Botanica out and try <laughs> and find it. And, and then you look at the pictures on there that probably put you off. Now, could just put sex into Google and the whole world's open to them. So they've been exposed to stuff they're probably not ready to be exposed to. Parents are busier. Um, parents are working full time. Um, probably grandparents probably aren't, and this is all very generalized, but maybe aren't around as much as they were because they're. Potentially in rest homes and these little villages everywhere now, so it's changed. I mean, the, the things that we thrived on was relationships, is the one thing we're not getting. And lockdown showed that. You know, the first thing we all wanted to do at lockdown was go and see someone. You know, it wasn't go to McDonald's or KFC or hit a golf ball to a point. We going to go and see someone. That relational engagement. So what we know is the kids are not getting the relational. I think the quote. From the hunter-gatherer days compared to now, a six-year-old in the hunter-gatherer days gets more relational engagement, attuned relational engagement with an adult than a 16-year-old does nowadays. So the one thing we're we're biologically geared to do, we're not giving our kids. So, you know, a 16-year-old is the equivalent of a six-year-old in that relational engagement because we're too busy. We'll work out, well, let's be more busy building that relational engagement. And so... Look, I think there's lots of combinations to that question, but I think, yes, it, it is getting worse. The, the health system can't cope with it. So we keep talking around mental health is really important, yet we don't seem to do any difference. There's up to six to 8 month waiting lists in Christchurch for our young people. We wonder why there's a high suicide rate. Well, that's your answer. <laughs> we actually need to fund this model and do it properly. Um, most schools would run on one counsellor per eight 9,000 kids sometimes. So that, that, it's, it's one I'll get really frustrated with when everyone keeps going, oh, we've got such a high suicide rate. Why is that? Well, there's some obvious answers here. We can't keep reviewing it and then do nothing. Um, the health system is under. I feel really sorry for the people working for the DHBs because they are under the pump. You know, They haven't got time to properly assess and look after these people, these really vulnerable people because there's another one coming through the door. So the government, whoever the government is, needs to really step back and, and have a chat to the people on the coalface and go, well, what do we actually need here? Because it's it's getting worse at the moment.
0: Yeah, it's a um, again not a not an easy problem to solve either. It's become the the, the rise of of things like technology has been so sudden. That it's gone oh, from a generation of you know like I grew up you know watching one two and three. Yeah, and I remember there was a four at one stage. Yeah, and then, it was exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was. I mean, there was a. And it was only on a couple hours a day, but you know, and now, um, you know the the screen time that we have, even my, and I'm no, no bloody you know, saint in this. I know oh, I have my phone as, as much as anyone else, but um, it's certainly changed so much. And you look at, no wonder, you know, when you look at it out the way we've evolved over time to deal with different challenges, it's been in the space of a decade that oh. this whole new thing has arisen. The
1: thing with technology, you've got to treat like any other addictive, um, any of that which is addictive, alcohol, drugs, um, gambling. Now, all those have age limits. Technology doesn't. And look, we've all been guilty. I've been home some nights and busy day on, on my laptop working when I probably shouldn't be and my daughter and my wife talking to me and, and I've just blanked them. And they've got to almost raise their voice. Oh, shit, sorry. You know, so we've gone from getting home from work at five and not working to getting home and consistently working. And I said it's to my wife that I said, when did this happen? Well, why, are we, why are we so busy with this? Because we can take it home I'm around it. So it's about how do we make... The balance is the wrong word because it's when we balance, but how do we get the, the balance better around, you know, when we get home we switch these things off? Mm. Um, because as you said, they've come into our homes, all of our homes, and we haven't thought about the rules. Now we're starting to try and work out what the rules are. Now the, the research is now really coming out. They reckon kids under two shouldn't really be having much screen time. Um, you see babies in prams with a phone. And that's not knocking the family because it, it, it's easy. Yeah. But we're going to go away from easy It's not always good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, anyway, it is, and you've got to have some empathy that they might have lots of other oh. stuff going on and it's just a
1: quick fix. Okay, so it's, it's, it it's not a judgment. Yeah, it, yeah. It's not a judgment call. We're all guilty of it, that's what I'm saying. I mean, none of us are perfect with this, that's for sure. Yeah, um, it's,
0: right. it's designed, it's actually manufactured and engineered to do exactly what it's doing to us. And it's doing it very well. It is doing it very well. Yeah, it's, a, um, yeah, it's certainly a challenge that um, is, is not a small one and it's um, not you know, limited to to just us or just New Zealand. So it'll be an interesting um, well, it's not a
1: teenage thing. Everyone talks about teenagers. Well, you go and pick your son or daughter up from an event and wait, look at the parents outside. None of them are talking.
0: Or yeah. on their phones. Yeah. We've lost that meaningful, you know, a, a, a good quote I heard, meaningful relationships trump everything. And it's really hard to have a meaningful relationship when it's through a screen. There's a screen in the middle of it. Is there a, I mean, I know there's no answer, but is there, if, if someone's listening going, you know, gosh, what? what is what there? A, is there something I can do, a, a small thing? And is it? Is it just a matter of saying, hey, look, you know, at six PM, we turn our buddy phones oh. off, and we act as a family, and it, we—it's
1: having rules. Okay, you have a rule for when your child's first starts drinking. You don't go, "Here's a twenty-four pack, <laughs> knock yourself out." But we do that with the phone, so it's more about creating rules because it's not going to go away. This. Yeah, uh, it's it, you know I try to get my youngest daughter last night to watch the social media. I got ten minutes into it, she switched off. So I've got to keep working on that. Mm-hmm. She's um, on her phone. She's more like- <laughs> basically she yeah. really was. Yeah. Um, but I think it's more around the education side, and it's the thing with parents are fascinating because they, I don't know when it happened, but we almost went from people being parents to people being friends. And you have got to remember the parent; it's a different role than a friend. And you know, we've had we situations where. You know, parents ring up and go, look, um, we Johnny or Joanne, they're on the internet all the time, they're gaming, rah, rah, rah. what do I do? I said, so Well, turn it off. Well, I can't do that. Why not? They get angry. Do you not think that's that's a bit of a problem then? Yeah, but I don't want to upset them. Okay, so I'm unsure what you're asking me to do then, because you wanted me to fix a problem that you don't want to fix. So parents need to be parents. Yeah. Uh, they're not their best friends. Uh, we need to make some tough calls. Um, if you're Kid hasn't said they dislike you once a week. You're probably not doing your job. Um, no is a word that kids can respond to, so we need to start using it more.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Hey, well, uh, John, I'm very, very appreciative of your time. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed um, the conversation. Is there, um, you know, I always ask this to, to my guests. Is there something you wish everyone knew? You know, like it's, <laughs> you know, and it's just, a, it's just a, maybe what's on your mind at the moment. But if you know, if you had a a hey, um, you know, a, a microphone that would speak into the, the the ears of the world, you know, and you could put one message into them. Is there something that you go, had, hey, you know, if everyone knew
1: this, we'd be in a far better place. That's a great question. Um, look, I, I think everyone should know that they whatever today brings tomorrow I doesn't have to bring the same thing. You know, there's always hope. I hope is a massive one um, around it. So whatever situation you're in at the moment, if it does, you know, if it feels terrible, there is always ways of moving through it. And so, never lose hope in what you're trying to do, and never lose your dreams. It's gonna be very cliche, but just just shoot for the stars because that's how we get somewhere. Um, so have big dreams and enjoy your life. It's a great
0: way to end it. John, hey, thank you so much. Again, I'm very, very appreciative of your time. If um, you know, is there is there so if someone's listening and just hundred percent resonated with everything you said and they want to, you know, maybe look to involve you in their business
1: or a team or or where it is, how do they find you? Um look, just best is to go to performance wellbeing, ww.performancewellbean.co.nz. We've got a website there. So if people want to connect to they can connect through there with us. But if there's questions more than happy to answer answer those.
0: John, you're an amazing man, doing some great work. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Perfect. And there it is, another episode of the Road to Success podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, thank you so much to John Quinn for his insight and his time. You know, I, um, I love having these conversations and I take so much out of them. And, and that one was certainly no different. He's a, a, a remarkable guy with an incredible insight into well-being, into performance, into some of the challenges that we're facing. But also what I liked is, you know, some of the solutions that we can pursue as well. So huge thanks to John. I'm very appreciative of his time. And if you did take something out of the podcast or you enjoyed the episode today, um, it would really mean the world to me if you could do uh, one of a couple of things. I always say I love having these conversations and I truly do. Um, and and if you did take something out of it today, if there was something that you think maybe someone else could take out of it as well, if you could share the episode, you know, send them the link, tell them about it, just tell them to check it out on Spotify or iTunes. And alternatively, if you're not already, if you can hit the subscribe button, again, whatever platform you are listening on, just hit the subscribe button and then whenever a new episode comes out, you'll hear all about it as well and that's it we're done thank you so much for checking out another episode of the road to success podcast you're amazing have a lovely day talk to you soon see ya bye